The Worldcraft Club Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. A time devoted to world building and its impact on narrative, where we discuss any and all topics involving the crafting of fictional settings to inspire your creativity. My name is James. And my name is Seth. And we are your hosts for this delightful half hour. Alrighty, welcome. Welcome, welcome, dear listeners. We have an exciting podcast for you today because we have with us here John Bell. Now, John Bell is somebody you're going to already know because his presence is felt throughout the podcast. He does a lot of our editing. He's definitely a, a not just a friend of the show, but like a best friend of the show. He's a contributor, a general market man, and a pretty gifted artist in his own right. So welcome, John. Hey, James. Good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing super good, man. It's crazy early in the morning. We like to do our recording at like (laughs) five. So John, you're you're not up at five though, right? You're elsewhere. Yep, that's right. I'm up at 10. So having my you probably just heard my spoon. I'm I'm drinking tea getting ready for my day. It's um, good old time in the UK here. So (laughs) well, you must drink tea if you're in the UK. So we decided to do a podcast today about something very specific, and um, we haven't really done anything quite like this yet. We've always done these sort of broader topics or deep dives into a genre or intellectual property, focusing on rivers. Uh, this episode is going to be all about kind of the dynamics of this like very specific and particular thing that can turn up in stories. So, John, what's the deal with rivers? Rivers are really interesting. Uh, I mentioned last time I was on the podcast that I was writing like an RPG supplement based around the setting of a river. And I've found that it's a really interesting subject because rivers are extremely symbolic and also present in a lot of media, but they're often not the focus of attention in any sort of story it's often like a a backdrop piece of narrative that you'll see that often has a lot of themes and implications with them even if it's just for a certain shot Uh, they wanted it to be on a river usually uh, rivers have a a deeper meaning to them and i'm excited to talk about it because i think rivers are really cool and can be really fun and interesting part of your world building The thing I loved about it is as we were kind of prepping for this episode and talking, the thing I kept thinking about was like, uh, the first thing was, well, I guess rivers don't turn up that much, right? And then I actually thought about it and I was like, that's not right at all. Rivers Mm -hmm. are all (laughs) over our media. And even like off the top of my head, I just started listing rivers and I I could name like maybe like 10 or 15 odd rivers from all over the world. I mean, even just like the Nile, the Amazon, the Mississippi, a bunch of local rivers often like, you know, you know them by the towns on them, the the Hudson, Potomac, Susquehanna near here in central Pennsylvania, but even like Mm -hmm. the Thames going through London or the Seine um, through Paris. And, and, and as I started like thinking about all this stuff, I, I was uh, kind of blown away by how much of our life, centers around them and it was it was super interesting to me that you're doing you're you're doing kind of this narrative focus on it so i find all of that really fascinating so i i I figure like maybe let's kick off with um 
just let, let, let's just talk about some river facts because I think it's it's a lot of times like uh, rivers are often like if you've ever seen map making and things like that they they have some unique qualities to them that are almost always present right so let, let's let's break it down go for it yeah so I'm going to first clear the air everyone mm. thinks they know this but there's only one true answer rivers yeah. flow in a direction that has the least resistance. It's not yeah. that rivers flow south. It's not that rivers flow towards the equator. They don't flow towards the opposite pole. They flow where there's least resistance. Just so happens on Earth that a lot of our rivers flow south for some reason. But in truth, rivers will flow anywhere that they're lazy enough to go. Um, so that's something that when you're looking at world building, it's always good to remember, okay, rivers start at a high point and move to a low point. Then when it comes to hard or soft soil, a river's going to try to push through soft soil. Yeah. And the rivers are going to follow those really basic principles. So especially if you're map making, anything like that, rivers flow lazily. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I, I I loved that you raised this. Like I think I think I made a bunch of comments on it on the on the on the collaborative doc we were on because like yep. it, it's one of those things where it's like, well duh, you know what I mean? River right. water goes down. But the reality is that like whenever I've been doing map drawing or anything like that, mm -hmm. my instinct to draw rivers always going uh, down on my sheet of A4 paper that I'm drawing on is is such a strong temptation and you forget all of these other like kind of um kind of like geological realities you know it's it's going to it's not only flowing down it's flowing through soft rock and and hard rock sometimes the interchange between those creates waterfalls and all sorts of neat features that happen there but all of it kind of happens for a reason like it's going somewhere yeah Absolutely. So that's probably the one thing that I found in my river research. Like, is this an urban legend or like, what is this? Uh, <laughs> so no, I totally get you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought another interesting thing that we'd uncovered is that um, rivers seldom split. They, mm. they mostly combine. Like it's not, it's not that they never do. Like one thing is uh, I've, I found in, um, in, in, in work I've done, with water. So I'm, I'm an, uh, I'm an engineer. I'm, I actually work with, uh, with, with waterways as, as right. part of my job. And one of the things that I found really kind of interesting about it is that rivers, uh, what water doesn't always obey the rules that we set. So when we say water goes down, the, the best way mm -hmm. to actually say it is water goes down almost all the time right sometimes it goes up or it, it you know it rides over a a patch of ground that 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 kicks up high because you've got like hard rock there and you know some sort right. of ge geological feature that that causes it to do something that it shouldn't but generally water flows down um and generally water combines it confluences it doesn't split mm -hmm. so um but sometimes it does <laughs> right absolutely and so what you're talking about here is something called bifurf uh, bifurcation, I think, or bifurcation. Mm. I actually need to look that word up again. But um, basically, when it splits into two because of some amality in the river structure, um, yeah. usually it's like if there's a, sometimes if it's a man made split um, yeah. or if there's just a 
a huge boulder or pit of soil and mass that's extremely dense and hard and the river yeah. just can't cut through it then it'll eventually cut around it but like as, it's been dammed in some way exactly naturally so, or or man-made yeah right so it's really hard for a river to split up like that but it does happen occasionally normally we see something called a conflux which is where two separate bodies of water join into one which creates mm. the larger river um, so that comes from different sources, such as uh, lakes, underground um, sources of water, uh, rain, you know, snow melting from a mountain, glaciers, anything like that. Um, which I guess this also transitions well to basic river facts, a basic yeah. structure of a river. Yeah. Um, so you're going to have the source of the river, which is wherever that water comes from. Mm. Then you're going to have the course of the river, which is the formal term for the actual water that is moving from point A to point B. And everything that happens between point A and point B is the course. Uh, so rapids, the waterfalls, anything like that. Mm. It's part of the course. Yeah, any other feature. Mm. Yep. And then you have the mouth of the river, which is where either the uh, river kind of becomes part of something bigger, whether that be the lake at the end, whether that be um, joining into a, another river. Then you have the the most common thought for a mouth of a river, which is uh, a river going into an ocean. Uh, yeah. like down in Louisiana, where you have the uh, Mississippi River, how it splits up and goes into, um, a, well, it turns into a delta, and then it goes into... Um, the gulf there and so that entire delta is considered the mouth of the river yeah some good things to note when you're building a river like that they're always going to have those three um kind of points similar to like how a story is going to have you know a beginning climax and end a river kind of has those pieces to them unless if there's something fantastical or imaginary about your world in that in that sense and yeah I, li I like that one thing that you you point out unless there's something fantastic or magical so this is something something to kind of highlight about this is as we talk about these natural bodies of water and how they're how they're made it's perfectly reasonable in a story to break those rules but it's going to be something that is uh the supernatural or it's going to be some sort of uh high level engineering that causes it or just man-made structure so it's kind of it li i like that distinction it's it's water does what it's supposed to except yeah. when it doesn't and when it doesn't you want to have some kind of an understanding of why um but when we're looking as well sources can be a whole pile of different things like you can have um you it can simply be a, a stream that's coalescing from like surface flow coming from like a mountain or it could also be partly from a uh, a spring and a source is really like talking about what, what's furthest from the mouth <laughs> is where we'll identify a source. Mm -hmm. realistically rivers as where their water comes from it's going to come from a basin that is uh, that is just mm -hmm. a big it's measured in square mileage. So it's like a big, oddly shaped, usually like kind of oblong shaped thing uh, that that gets thinner as you get closer to the mouth. And that is where all of the water is going to be driving in from, depending on the uh, topography. So the river is going to have lots of little uh, sometimes sometimes called dendrites, like uh, little 
little bits of uh, tributaries kicking off from it all over the place. But the furthest from the mouth is usually referred to as the source. And that's the, uh, the, the furthest right. you can get away from that end. So um, just for references, we're like building rivers. That's another, that's another kind of interesting, interesting way to think about it. Um, man, I'm so glad we have just two water nerds talking about this I'm, subject today. You know, this is great. <laughs> We're off to a great start. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> let's, um, let, let's dive into some more like human facts. Not, so like it, it's humans build, sure. like we've talked a lot about how people like to build on the coast, but they also like to build along rivers because of the fresh water. But mm -hmm. this kind of comes with a bunch of challenges and, and some advantages. So do you, do you want to just dive into that for a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So I always think of rivers when I'm world building as kind of having their pros and cons, right? Their risks and benefits, uh, whatever you want to call it. So uh, let's take, um, uh, let's see, I think it's the Nile. Uh, and the Nile, you know, just this big river, uh, plenty of fresh water going through a really dry, arid area. Um, then you know, the Nile was used for its flooding for food. So, you know, the uh, farmers of ancient yeah. times would just have acres and acres of farmland, yeah. right? And um, just these crops planted into a fairly dry but rich soil ground. And then the river would flood frequently and it would just, you know, flood these farmlands and then it would recede again and it would allow the farmers to go in and farm these crops and keep them uh, gathering a lot of food. And they were able to, you know, I mean, in Egypt, they were able to uh, sustain a huge population because of this. Yeah. Uh, so it's really um, like the, that's probably the best example that I can think of uh, for food, yeah. right? But at the same time, the Nile is filled with dangerous animals. Um, I I don't have to tell you not to go swimming in Assassin's Creed Origins to uh, <laughs> to to save yourself because you're going to run into hippos, alligators, uh, killer birds, probably. Um, just I mean, there's a ton of dangers to be had with rivers, uh, with the wildlife. You can also run into things like undercurrents yeah. where it looks like the top of a river is flowing a lot more slowly than the actual water moving on the like top. in the midsection. Yeah. yeah. And plenty of people have died even in modern times going into a river where it looks like it's flowing well, slowly that, that, and then the current rips up their feet. And then that's the thing about a uh, water flow is that it's fastest in the very middle. So water is slowest wherever it interacts with something that's not water. So if it's interacting with soil or it's interacting with weeds and stuff, it's going to travel slower. Even if it's interacting with air, right. it travels a little slower. So there's this, there's this uh, fast point right in the middle that you can get caught up in. And it's neat that you talked about floodplains as well, because like that's what happens when rivers interact with big flat areas. So like a river comes into a big wide area and what it does is it deposits all this nice sediment over there and makes for really fertile ground and there's lots of things living in the water. And so, you know, they die and they create all these great, like really, really fertile bits of land. But then you also have the disadvantage that the floods that made the land so fertile also are floods <laughs> and they're and it's yep, like you exactly get <laughs> as a result which it sounds so right. silly but it's it's a hundred percent like true but 
Yeah. Right. And no matter how much planning you can put into um, protecting your settlements or wherever uh, the people are living from flooding, there's always going to be that time where there's just a sudden huge rain and you either get water flow that's violent enough to take down those structures or you get water flow that's high enough to go over those structures and cause other damage. Even then, if the flooding's not going to do it, it will pick up and carry uh, trees, boulders, big objects, um, you know, boats, unfortunate, unfortunate enough to get caught up in it. Uh, it'll carry those things down river violently and quickly so that if, you know, a river decides to throw a rock at your house, it, it probably can. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's, there's times where we see rivers acting very violently in that yeah. sense. Um, and so it makes rivers equally a great place to host your civilization as it does a dangerous place. Mm. Uh, and I think that's kind of a lot of where we get into kind of the sentimentality and the um, symbolic views of rivers, but we can get into that later. I think another benefit alongside these aspects is trade uh, and travel. When we see in storytelling and a lot of media, it often involves travel. I often think of Lord of the Rings where we see at the beginning um, of the um, the Fellowship of the Ring, whether you're reading the book or seeing the movie, you have that scene where um, you hear of the, the king, Isildur, I think, and he has the one ring, he's kept it, um, and he gets killed by an ambush. And especially in the movie, they're on a river when this happens, and he tries to use the ring to escape, but the current just goes, nope, bye. And the rain slips off his finger and the rain is lost until it's picked up by Gollum years and years later. Um, and you get this scene later on in that story where they're on a river traveling again, likely the same river. And it's like you get this sense of movement and um traveling and utilizing the river as safe passage I love it. um yeah and i think that uh, while rivers can leave you exposed in a sense they can also move you quickly and quietly because of the the natural sounds and things happening on a river so uh, again we, with traveling and, and trading and things like that on a river there's pros and, and cons which again is a really great thing i love about rivers and storytelling yes i love this idea as well that you're circling back to as uh and and, and seem to kind of be writing on which i really like is is um the river having kind of this personality this sort of character that we're seeing and um you know, can almost say like rivers they kind of give and take away like they sometimes it's it's the famine sometimes it's the feast and even even flooding is is interesting because usually we measure flooding in decades like it's it is right. not like oh every year the river floods well even though every year the river may well flood but um a lot mm -hmm. of flooding will operate on like 100 year cycles and so um 
it used to be, and we don't do it very much anymore, but we'd measure floods and we'd say that's a one in a hundred year flood. Now we say it's a 1% flood. So any given year, there's a 1% chance that you'll have that flood. So um, you'll have somebody right. who's lived in a house for 40 years and they'll tell you, I, it has never flooded here. To which we'll say, well, there's mm -hmm. a reason that they used to call them one in a hundred year floods. And um, that's kind of a fascinating thing and often exacerbated by people building stuff like the Johnstown flood near us in PA was the result of a failing dam that was built for recreation. So the dam, those dams can fail quickly. And I'll definitely have to put some links to mudslides and dams that are shockingly fast, but it's kind of remarkable to me how yeah. all of this builds to this idea that you can have this almost a character explored in a river where you can say the river is angry, or um, you could have a river that is, is more like a mother and is nurturing and kind and helps you build around her. Um, or even, even like somebody who does, who does the heavy lifting for you, you know what I mean? A river could be viewed as powerful or gentle and it depends where you are in the river. It depends what time of year it is. It depends which year it is. The river may be furious one year and a mother the next, um, which is just a fascinating thing. And it, it almost seems like deities of old, like, you know, Thor's really pissed. And so it's a lightning storm. You right. Know? <laughs> so like, I mean, yeah, yeah dive into that. I, I think that two uh, explorers of you know other times would often use personification to describe rivers as a way to naturally warn uh, other travelers of the river, right? Um, so you could say that a, a river is often a tactile but vengeful beast. So often, like uh, that kind of just what do you think that describes? It sounds like something that maybe takes its time is methodical, but then also has moments of rage and impunity. And I think that, you know, when you think of rivers, it's like, well, what does that sound like? I, it sounds like kind of slow, bendy turns. It sounds like relatively peaceful canoe trips. Yeah. And then there's a rapid. Oh yeah, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> and I, and you often see personification in a lot of areas in regards to rivers, as you were saying, both from a perspective of relating rivers to gods and deities as being aspects of them, but then also uh, just putting those characteristics on rivers to give travelers and other people an idea of what to expect when they get on this river, because it has these sorts of characteristics. Um, we see that a lot in storytelling, but also it, that's just been part of the um, natural storytelling of, of human nature, being able to subscribe those traits so that people can um, be more aware of what they're getting into when they get on the water. Yeah. No, I love that. Like that's, um, that's interesting how many as well, how many lives the river claims and, um, this idea, even, even of the, of the river taking lives as and when it will. And they can also, even as much as they transmit like life and, uh, and energy and things like that, they, they also, um, do a really good job of moving whatever somebody puts upstream downstream. So, 
if yes. you like it's <laughs> you know you pee in the river upstream someone downstream is drinking it is really what's happening right. and for the longest time like that was a very real risk and so you pass typhoid and cholera because downstream of a major city and that there was there were even times in history where the thames there there was a, a huge issue in the river thames where they were they the, the river stunk it stunk it was putrid because mm -hmm. people would dump everything in there people would dump in there and people would throw bodies in there yep. and all kinds of terrible things and it just it just got to yeah. the point where it, it's hard for us sometimes to imagine the externalities of what we're doing just because it looks like there's so much water like how could you break that like the amounts are actually unfathomable so fun fact for you pennsylvania consumes I believe it is 10 billion gallons of water on a daily basis. I think it is mm -hmm. like, it, it, is, wow. it is like an absurd amount of water that we make. And, um, it's crazy to look at like rivers, like the Susquehanna that's near us and realize just how many gallons of water that's pulling. So a gallon is about four liters, um, for, for those of us who, mm -hmm. uh, uh, who reasonably use the metric system, but yeah, no, it's, um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something that, uh, that just to be aware of is like when we're talking quantities, I think a gallon, Oh, like a gallon of milk, like a gallon of gas, you know, it's, I can fill a car with 10 gallons of gas. When you consider like the amount that we consume on a daily basis through the rivers, it's, um, it's absolutely mind blowing. Like the numbers get absurdly big very quickly. Uh, so this this kind of links to me for disease in whatever world you're making. Um, a lot of times diseases are thought to be cured by doctors, which they are. Like I'm not, this is not me beating up on doctors so much as saying like a lot of disease issues are actually solved by engineering solutions on a broader scale. So like you, they had a, a cholera outbreak in, um, in, in London and uh, they couldn't figure out what to do with it and the doctors were not sure and um what it turned out was uh it was all centered around water sources so there was a bunch of wells in the city and it turned out they were being infected by um basically just poop and um so what it turned out was was the solution was an engineering one build a sewer system and um that's still a sewer system london uses today i believe it hasn't actually been really significantly updated because they built it to for growth and this was like in the Victorian era, which is right. just insane. But it's interesting to me how like we get these situations and the solutions to disease spreading via water might be a form of treatment or diversion rather than necessarily, oh, someone found a cure. It can literally be, well, we don't really have a cure, but we can stop people from drinking poop. <laughs> you know, and like, right, that's, <laughs> which was just kind of an interesting dimension to throw at things, mostly because like, I think in terms of storytelling, we kind of, you know, uh, you have, uh, for example, in Neverwinter Nights, if you remember the Wailing Death, that was killing yeah. everybody at the beginning yeah. of the game. And I kind of think to myself, it's a less sexy solution, but wouldn't it have been really interesting if they were like, well, you know, we, we found out that it has to do with this magical substance, which is infecting the wells. And we figured out how to divert it from the wells or to find a new source of water. And now we don't drink the yeah, daily yeah. death water, um, which seems mm -hmm. like a wise choice generally, if you're, you know, given a choice of what water to drink. Um, but that's, um, yeah. you know, just, just kind of a thought for um, maybe more realistic world building, though uh, I'll, I'll readily admit it's not as narratively satisfying as finding a cure.
Though it is interesting that when we look at um, world religions and uh, often just stories in general, uh, not just with rivers, but when we look at water, I had a chemistry professor that once described water as the most strange substance on earth just because it has a very small range where it can transform into a solid, a gas, and a liquid state. Uh, really, when we think about the temperature changes needed for that, it is not much. When you think about water and how it relates to how everything in our lives need water and good, clean water to some degree, uh, it's really uh, wild. And I think that having those kind of elements in your story where there's maybe even something not just connected to rivers, but kind of the... um, something linked to everybody is kind of an interesting world building topic like is uh water a really important and valued thing for the people in your lives or are the religions uh, incorporate aspects of water into their mythology and into their lessons uh, are are then rivers incorporated into those lessons and used in imagery and things? Well, an interesting thing is just just to drive that home as well as like as we think about it, like the uh, imagery of of baptism in the Christian religion is is a lot to do with cleansing, and it's also to do with um, kind of drowning and resurrection, and that that's an right. interesting thing that uh you know it, that that is a you know a good great major religion example of of water being used and you can see it all over the place and you even look at like historical things like uh the lady of the lake um in arthurian like mythology they're really not hard to find as you start like thinking where does right. water come into this where does what um, what does water mm-hmm. symbolize sometimes healing sometimes purity right. sometimes starting again um yeah mm-hmm. which is fascinating stuff i believe that some uh traditional um religions um would consider that basically rivers were created by like water spirits that were snakes that would go through the land and leave a trail behind Mm. them and those kind of creations in um kind of giving life through a land as, as they wove through it the Nile is very much like that as well as we talk about it. Yeah. Um, and it, which makes a lot of sense it being located in a, in a fairly arid region, but then there's also different people who have claims on the sources of the Nile and there's deep religious significance to that. Um, in, in, you know, kind of more, more folk religions as well, as well as, uh, as well as other more, more globally established religions, which is super interesting. And like, a, a in, the spiritual realm too like you can i feel like i would do this podcast a disservice not mentioning the river six uh, <laughs> yes of course yeah. it just right but this kind of um river that often it like mirrors the kind of life and uh giving that we often assign to it in uh, a human way the river sticks being one that that separates life from death and often carries the souls of the living towards the um eventual like demise and end of those souls which is you know death which is their uh uh, hell right and so yeah it, it, it even in the in the spiritual realm like they have these rivers and i think that's 
also fascinating. Um, and again, going back to that, I guess the source would be the land of the living. The mouth would be the land of the dead. The river sticks kind of separates the two in a well, way, uh, carrying the souls from one place to another. It's neat that you mentioned this as well, because the, um, the, the Greeks had the same confusions that we uh, about where water comes from that we just kind of addressed early in the podcast. They kept wondering, like, where do mm -hmm. all these rivers come from? Because it's like you look around and rivers sort of just coalesce from different drops of water, essentially. Right. And so people would look around and they would they'd try to piece it together. And eventually the Greeks were just like, well, I guess it all flows underground in a giant river through the center of the earth and then pops back up again later. And, and that was right. <laughs> because like the water cycle is not intuitive. Like it's like, you mean the water's constantly evaporating up into the air and getting caught in the clouds and then it rains. And then I guess that coalesces into mm -hmm. a river and then it gets uh, again, heated up by the sun and rains. It's like, it's crazy yeah. that a star, uh, what, how far away is the sun? It's like 9 million, 19 million miles. I want to say it's very far away. Um, mm -hmm. A star yeah. is interacting with the water on our planet. Like that, that is, that is a, that is a thing that is happening. And that is just such an abstract concept for someone who's not acquainted with the science. And, um, I find that, I find that really interesting. So you actually may find that mythologies exist in your world for where, how water comes to be, because it's an unusual thing. You know, it, it is, it is difficult to conceptualize until you understand a lot of other things about water. And, uh, a lot of that was done right. by just observation. So it would be neat to see somebody, um, uh, burned as a heretic for saying that water was not just a gift from, from, from God, from the rain. You know, it's like, no, I swear yeah. it comes from water. Have you ever laid out a cup of water and just watched it evaporate? Evaporation. He's a witch, you know, um, <laughs> it would just be interesting to see that, you know, um, and, uh, any number of kind of beliefs. So look, let's, let's tie this back then and back into narrative. Sure. Why, why are rivers like, how, how, how can they be brought into a story and what would they present more, more on a like nuts and bolts kind of narrative level? Like if we're telling a story about a river. Yeah. So the thing that I'm working on uh, kind of mm. acknowledges a couple of things. And I think just in general uh, needs to acknowledge uh, rivers are often used as symbols. We kind of discussed that world religions use mm. them. Um, we often use them just in storytelling as symbolic. Like I mentioned, Lord of the Rings, there's a little bit of symbolism and having these scenes and the pace set on a river. Um, whether you realize it or not, um, rivers are going to have subtle implications yeah. in your story. So why not tap into that uh, and just lean into yeah. it? Uh, allow the river to kind of have a symbolic nature in your story um, because people are going to assign to it. I, I think it's human nature to uh, assign meaning to that sort of thing mm -hmm. just because of how conditioned we've been to see rivers and stories. So yeah, tap into that symbolic nature. Yeah. Um, and we also talked a little bit about the personification, mm. right? The um, relating the rivers as a person and their kind of character traits. Um, the one cool thing that I, I, at least I think it's cool, um, <laughs> that I wrote in my supplement in my kind of world building chapter for rivers is I broke down the building of a river from its history and background as if, if I was writing a Dungeons and Dragons character. I like that. Uh, which I know sounds a little weird, 
But D and D characters, for those who are unfamiliar, have typically have ideals, a bond, um, and one or two flaws usually. And so I gave, I basically had some basic uh, tables to roll that sort of thing. So like a lawful river may um, be separating those from each other who would otherwise would cause war. Hmm. But an evil river may be any who dare tread on me will face my wrath. Yeah. Um, could foment the conflict then, in some way. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then a bond might be to provide nourishment and life to those who are living on it. But a flaw may be that uh, the river has become diseased, as we kind of mentioned earlier. Here's an interesting idea for you as well, just to throw into that, because I, I find this fascinating. I love the idea of baking tone of your of your world into your geography because i think a lot of times we don't personify it because but but this is how we view the world around us you look at a mountain range with these jagged peaks and you can look at them and say "Mm, that's menacing Mm -hmm. you know that feels dark you know at mount mount doom for example or even the land of mordor is a personified land it has a character or even the the glade alien outside of the gates and like there is a certain character to it It makes you feel a certain way and rivers are very much like that i love this idea but what about this concept a river can be corrupted from upstream a river of good character could change and your characters could say this is unlike the river we know let's investigate and that Mm -hmm. could have a very personal kind of feel to it rather than oh the river's dirty why you know it could it could actually you could weight it in a way in your narrative that says why why is um you know kind of a mother is acting strangely kind of thing which sounds more like an introduction to a horror movie but um you know it's like kind of a that sort of thing you know why why is this person's character changed if you want i mean i know this is going to be the second time that we bring out biblical examples <laughs> in the uh in, in the yeah. i mean full disclosure that is the religious background f- for me so i'm probably most familiar with that but if you if you flip open uh or just you know google the story of um uh, moses and the curses that befell egypt mm. um a lot of those curses involve the yeah. river um especially like the river turning to blood which if you imagine an agricultural state, and all of a sudden, all of your water turns into blood. That's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you're—I mean, it's not just like, oh God, that's horrific. I mean, like, no, that's going to kill your crops. Yeah. That's going to kill animals. Yeah. That's going to do a lot of. It's it's not just icky, right? And like, whether whether or not you believe the the story to be true or fiction or poetic or whatever, like that is an awesome like story idea Mm. uh, that the river has become cursed in some way it turns to blood or there's something that happens i love that um and i think that actually rolls into a kind of a third point of uh, multiple applications yeah um rivers and all of the kind of ways that they are structured personified presented there's going to be multiple ways to look at rivers. Uh, the rivers are often going to have different stages of where they're angry and that's true. Um, they literally you know, like righteous. Seems history. like they have emotion. Yeah, yeah. And and then you have the the calm bend of the turn. You know, there's the the sunrise and it's you know reflecting off the water and there's a warmth as the steam glistens off the water. Mm. Uh, all of that can be on the same river yeah. 
which is theoretically the same place, but uh, as well as it having geographical diversity, it can also have diversity of the people living on it. It can have diversity for uh, the events that are happening surrounding it. Uh, Really, you can make rivers your own if you're giving them character, uh, treating them as a character, in in my opinion, and really um, getting creative and having fun with what you want your river to do as long as you're leaning into it. As I kind of mentioned earlier, I I really think that uh, once you lean into it and kind of give into these ideas of, okay, symbolism, um, you know, like the mythological aspects, but also the practical structural perspectives, and then just the diverse nature of that river, you're going to have a a really cool story surrounding a river uh, once you put it in. I love this. And I I think we're we're just about out of time. I think that's a great spot to kind of close on. And uh, I'll just give a brief summary of, of like everything we've talked about, feel free to chime in, kind of talked our way through the rivers in terms of like, you know, kind of a brief idea about, you know, we can all name dozens of rivers usually, which is just a kind of an odd thing for a geographical feature. I don't know. There's, there are plenty of mountains I could name, I suppose, but rivers are, are just so central in our culture. We can usually name a bunch near us and a bunch of famous ones. We talked about the basic kind of structure of a river, its source course and the mouth of the river that always flows. Well, generally flows down and takes the easiest path. They're lazy that we tend to see more confluences coming together, more confluxes and uh, less, less is, does it split? So if these things happen, we may want to explain that in our world. We also covered the like very obvious, but also kind of like hard to grapple with concept that rivers don't just flow south. Like it feel it feels as silly as it sounds. Like on a, on a map, you always want to draw them going down. But to make realistic maps, they're going to be flowing every which way, as long as that way is is you know on the z-axis down. So mm-hmm. we talked about that kind of stuff and the importance that it has in human culture. But the part that I think I like the best about this is that you drew it to the character of the terrain and the tone. So I think world building has like two really, really, really key things that it brings to a narrative. One is boundaries and the other is tone. And I think when we talk about our geography, it's neat to say like this this land or this geographical feature, be it a river, it could be a mountain range, a forest, has a personality. Like what personality does your geography have and how does that impact the story? You know, um, and I, I think this is fascinating to talk about the, the deep significance these things have, but also the way that as humans, we have a tendency to personify everything um, down to our, like even uh, I was joking, but our, our podcast um, uh, recording technology is called Craig. And every time Craig logs in, I say hello to Craig. Um because we hear him coming. He says, now recording whenever he comes in. And it's uh, a little, right. a little jarring. <laughs> so I like to break the awkward tension between me and the robot that's recording us by, by introducing myself. So, um, you know, it's even talking to our AI assistants. We have a tendency to personify them and give them that kind of thing. So in a story, part of ascribing meaning is anthrop- and basically making them into people in some way. So I think that was a completely valid and super interesting point. And I hope that our listeners take, take that away when they go and they, and they discuss rivers, you know, talk about the water being angry, 
that draws people mm-hmm. in, you know, or talk about how it is, it is calm or it is, it is, it is flirtatious or friendly, you know, um, you can put all kinds of good ones. Yeah. And, or like what the water or what the river is doing in revenge or what yeah. the river is doing to give it motive. Um, you know, aid, aid the heroes, yeah. right? Because um, yeah. there's also legends and things of natural phenomenon helping sway the uh, the battle towards a certain direction. So like, what is the the river doing to help do that? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, I think that's perfect. And John, like, it's it's been so fun having having you on again. I know we're going to have you on again soon. And uh, really excited for that, man. Thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you so much. It's good to be here. Uh, really enjoying being on here. So hey, yeah. you're the man. Look forward to hearing more from you. All right. See you, dude. All right. Sounds good. See ya. Thank you for joining Seth and I on the World Craft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com, to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. This has been the World Craft Club podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm going to kill Craig now, but um, how do you feel that went? Wait, 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 wait. Uh, The word bifurcation. (laughs) That's how you say it. Bifurcation. We'll have to include that. I'm putting that in after. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like uh, the, the, you listened through the entire outro and now you're listening to this, ladies and gentlemen. You made it this far. (laughs) And for that, you deserve to know how to pronounce bifurcate. (laughs) Bifurcation. (laughs) I'm going to kill Craig. (laughs) All right.